Hey, this is Chris Johnson, pastor at Holy Cross Lake Mary, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us, and I pray this message inspires you and builds your faith. To learn more about Holy Cross, visit hclm.org. Enjoy the message. As we continue our sermon series, Renew, and the verse that we are going to be focused on this, this morning, the verse that we're going to be focused on is from John chapter 16, verses 16 through 22. And uh, feel free to uh, pull this up if you want on your Bible app, but uh, I'm going to read it out to you right now. John 16, verses 16 through 22. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does it mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. So Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. And so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn into joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And this is the word of the Lord. So Jesus, a lot of times, would talk in parables. He would talk in parables, and he would break down a complicated uh, subject, and he would tell a simple story that had a much deeper meaning. And when Jesus did that, he was doing that because he was, he was encouraging his believers to think a little bit harder about the message. And usually that parable had a real-world uh, story attached to it, but it had a much deeper meaning. And so the people who weren't, weren't believers would hear these parables, and they'd kind of walk away from the story. But here's my—Pastor Matt is volunteering today at an event on the coast with his wife. I know they're streaming this. Hello. Everything's fine. Uh, but— <laughs> um, I usually would ask an opening question, but I'm not talented enough to run over there, turn on lights, and do all that. So um, the, the kind of rhetorical opening question that I'm going to ask is, is this. Why, why does Jesus, the night, you know, it's, we're talking Monday, Thursday here. Um, he knows what's going to happen the next night. He gathers his friends and his disciples in the upper room and he institutes the, the, the Lord's Supper and, and, and then he's having this conversation. He's like, hey, I'm going to be gone in a little bit. All right? I'm going to be gone in a little bit, but then I'm going to return. Like that sounds like he's going to 7-Eleven. You know, uh, I'm going to be gone in a little bit and then I'm going to return. You're going to have anguish. But then your sorrow is going to turn to joy. And so 
you know, when I think about this, I like popped up in the middle of the night thinking about this this week. Like, why doesn't Jesus just do this? Why doesn't Jesus just say, hey guys, bring it in. We're going to have a Jesus huddle real quick. All right, this is what's going to go down. Kind of a heavy week, okay? Uh, Remember I told you that I'm going to be gone? Yeah, this is what I meant by that. Uh, I'm actually going to be found guilty. Uh, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be crucified. Um, let's see, uh, Judas is going to turn me in for silver, and then he's going to end up killing himself. Um, let's see, uh, I'm going to have to carry this heavy cross, and people are going to be spitting at me. Remember just last week when I, I rode in on the donkey, and everybody was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, and everybody was waving their palm fronds? Well, now they want to kill me. Uh, and, and so I'm going to carry this wooden cross, and I'm going to be spat at, and all of you guys are actually going to probably, like, deny me and, and run away from me. But I'm going to go to the cross. There's going to be a thief over here, and there's going to be another guy. I'm going to tell him. I'm going to see him in heaven. I'm going to die. And everybody's going to think that the world won and that Jesus lost, okay? But here's the spoiler alert. On Sunday, I'm going to come back. Okay? I'm going to appear. You're going to go to the tomb. You're not going to see me. I'm going to be gone. There's going to be an angel there. He's going to say, hey, he's going to catch up with you later. I'm going to come in. Thomas, you're not going to believe it. Thomas, you're not going to believe it. In fact, you're going to say, unless I see the holes in your hand, I'm not going to believe. And so I'm going to go there, and I'm going to make you stick your hand in my hole. Right there. Right there. And then I'm going to die for all your sins, and everything's fine. Okay? So guys, be cool. Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus says this. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. So my question is, like, why wasn't Jesus a little bit more revealing? Why wasn't he a little bit more, like, big things are about to happen. Why did he hold that back? I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but I will start off with this point that I think real Christian joy is actually pretty contagious. Real Christian joy is actually pretty contagious. The the reason that I'm here today is because about 25 years ago, um, somebody that I really cared for had displayed real Christian joy. When he was going through a death in his family, when he was going through a job loss, when he was going through a bunch of different problems, he was so consistent. And he had this kind of joy that I had never seen before. And finally, after not walking into a church besides weddings and funerals for about 15 years, I said to him, how do you have this kind of Christian joy? And he was prepared to give me the answer. The only way that I have this kind of joy is because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Chris, if I didn't have that, I don't know what I would do. And so I was thinking that Christian joy is really, really pretty contagious. Um, That when we display that joy, other people see us and wonder what makes us tick. Um, And I heard this, thinking about this uh, passage, I heard this popular pastor a uh, famous pastor, he once said this. He said, deep in the heart of all people is a need for three things. 
He said every person needs three things in their life. The first thing that somebody needs is, of course, love. They need love. They need to be loved. They need to be loved unconditionally. They need to be loved lavishly. They need to be loved generously. And they need to be loved by someone who knows all their faults and still loves them anyway. Somebody who knows all their faults and still loves them anyway. That's the first thing this pastor said that resonated with me. Number two, he said, besides having someone that loves us lavishly, the second thing that we need in this life is trust. We need trust. We need someone to trust, someone to believe in, someone who's concerned with our well-being, someone into whose hands we can place our life, and they care for us, and they trust us, and, and they need someone to love them and someone to care for them who has the power to rescue us from our troubles. So number one, we need someone to love us lavishly. Number two, we need someone that we can actually trust. And this pastor said this, number three. He said this, the third thing every human being needs besides someone to love, someone to trust, is that every human being in this room needs hope. We all need hope. We need to know that there's a future. We need to be able to see the light at the end of a dark tunnel, whether it be a pandemic or whatever. We need to be able to have hope. And we need to have a purpose. And somewhere in the future, we need to know that even if we're in the midst of the worst storm we've ever faced, that we need to know that there is something good that's going to happen. And it's going to be far greater than any of the bad experiences that we've recently gone through. So this pastor, which I, I really like this, he, he said, once again, we need to be loved lavishly. We need to have someone to trust in. And we need to have hope. So I say to you, that sounds like somebody pretty familiar in the Christian circles, of course, <laughs> love, faith, and hope sounds like a sign that you would go buy at Target and hang on your wall. Uh, live, love, learn. Love, faith, hope. But those aren't just empty words, empty expressions. Someone you can trust to care for you, to rescue you, to deliver you, to live with you through your problems and not just run once you have a problem. You see, that's what's offered to each and every one of us in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we try to find love, trust, and hope in the things of this world. Sometimes we try to find all of our love, trust, and hope in our spouse. And here's the thing. We're born in a broken world. We are sinners, yet saints. If we look to achieve all of our love and hope and trust through our spouse, we will all be let down. Only perfect love, only perfect trust, only perfect hope comes from Jesus Christ.
So, as we dig into this text today, as we come to this, Jesus is saying the last few words to his 11 disciples. The words that he gave them on that Thursday night before the crucifixion, they, those are tough words. Those are tough words. He keeps talking about dying and leaving, dying and leaving, dying and leaving. And here's the thing. These disciples have finally found something. They've left their life of uh, their occupation. They've left being fishermen. They've, le fishermen. they've left being tax collectors. They've left everything they've known. And they are following Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, they have found love, trust, and hope. And now all of a sudden, Jesus Christ says, hey guys, I'm leaving. I'm dying. I'm leaving. I'm dying. Oof. Finally, they had found purpose in this world, but now he's leaving. In addition to that, not only does he tell them that he's leaving and he's dying, he says, oh, by the way, you're going to be persecuted in the same way that I was persecuted. You're going to be hated and rejected the same way that I've been hated and rejected. And this is going to go on all through human history. All through human history. He says in Luke 21, they're going to turn against you. Brothers against brothers. Family members against family members. This society is going to turn against you. And ultimately, they're going to throw you out of the church, the synagogues. They're even going to kill you. It's not going to go well for you, he says. Why are they going to hate you? Because they hate me. Because you're not a part of the world system. Because everybody else is trying to find love, trust, and hope in the things of this world. And they can't understand how you can find love, hope, peace in Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I'm going to share this story because the person is, um, God bless him, no longer with us. But I knew this, um, this gentleman, um, and, and he was uh, CEO of a company, um, and he made a lot of money. And he, um, his, I, I, he freely would admit that his small G God was possessions. He had boats and really famous, amazing cars. It was hard for me not to covet. It was beautiful. But uh, the point is this, is that um, his child went to Holy Cross Academy, and his child would come home every day with, like, different lessons from the Bible and things like that. And, and uh, at some point, his wife said, um, hey, uh, this isn't working between you and me. I need you to either go talk to a counselor or to a pastor. And now he felt that was all rubbish. Uh, and he's like, I'm not going to a counselor. I'll go see Pastor Chris. Uh, I wave at him at Carline. He seems like a good guy. I'll go to a couple sessions. We'll be done. This will end. And so he calls me up one day. He rolls into the office, and he uh, says, man, I, um, I have to come talk to you. This is stupid. Uh, I don't even believe in God, but just tell my wife that I came and talked to you. You want to go get something to eat? <laughs> so he just wanted to kind of escape through this whole thing. And I said, I will. I do want to get something to eat, but you're going to come to my men's Bible study on uh, Monday morning. You're going to do that. 
He's like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, okay, then I'll just tell your wife you didn't meet with me. See, we can blackmail people too. But anyway, he came to my men's Bible study. We started talking about Jesus Christ. And I mean, there was actually a change, you know, a begrudging change. He came to church a few times and ended up getting baptized. And then he got fired from his job. And then he called me up saying some of the meanest things a human being's ever said to me. I thought you said that this world was going to be easy, Pastor Chris. I thought you said when I became a Christian and believed in Christ that all my problems would go away. And I said, hold on. When did I ever say that? Because I have a room full of people that have gone through a bunch of struggles. Because we can become Christians, it doesn't mean that like everything's rainbow and unicorns, right? We still have to face the problems of this world. The difference is that we know that our Savior has walked the same walk and faced the same troubles that we faced. In fact, he's faced harder ones. He didn't come down to earth to just be served. He came to serve. Jesus, our Savior, knows exactly the pain that you're going through right now. He knows exactly the trials that we're going through. And furthermore, I said to this man, I was like, you know why your world was so great before? Because I have to believe that there's a good and a bad. And if you're not not striving toward Christ, if you're not growing closer to Christ, the enemy doesn't care. Satan doesn't care. You're, You're apathetic toward Jesus. No big deal. But the second that you start making a transition and getting closer to Jesus, like, let's be honest for a second. If there's actually a God and there's actually a devil, why in the world would the devil want you to get closer to God? Why would he not try to make your life a little harder? To me, it's like when you get a vaccine, they say, hey, if you've got some reaction, that means it's actually working, which scares me because I didn't have much of a reaction, but the point is this, like when we move closer to Jesus, I have to imagine that that kind of ticks Satan off, and there's a little bit of a reaction and pushback to that. But the point is this, the point is that Jesus walks with us through those trials. He never leaves us. And we can find Jesus in Scripture, in prayer, and in church. We can find Jesus in Scripture, in prayer, and church. And so when you start to feel like he is not with you, we have to remember that. Jesus could have just told them that he was referring to his death and his burial, and his resurrection. But instead, this is what Jesus does. He flips it. He says, hey, you know what? He speaks of a woman in labor experiencing the sorrow that the hour has come for birth. But then the joy that overwhelms in that human being is born into the world. So when they press him for an answer, he gives them a practical realization. He says, you know what? What I'm talking about is like um, when a woman has a baby, And I go back to my wife's 25-hour birth with Kylie, my daughter. And I remember as we go into the hospital, they said, I don't know if you're far enough along. We're going to place you in like kind of a waiting room. 
and they placed my wife in a waiting room, me and my wife in a waiting room, with another lady who was about to have a baby but was farther along and was screaming at the top of her lungs. And I remember thinking, this is our first baby, and now this other lady is saying, I don't even want to have it. Like, listen, we're done. She's done. She's screaming. And I'm thinking, this is horrific. And 24 hours into it, Kylie still hadn't come yet. And it was really rough. And I'm the one watching. And I, if I was a woman, we would have no kids. Uh, and so we get through the process. And my beautiful daughter is in my hands. And I remember thinking to myself, this is such a blessing. It's so amazing. And about a week later, I remember thinking, we are never going to have another kid. We are only going to have one kid. Because that was such a traumatic experience. And it wasn't two or three weeks later that Jen was like, okay, well, we got to have a second kid. I'm like, were you not there? Did you not see what you went through? I mean, that is the epitome of bad, weird, hard, turning to absolute joy. And that's basically what God is saying. He's like, if you want an example, think about childbirth, about how horrific that whole procedure is, and then how joyful you are when you hold that baby. Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do with your life. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take those moments of pain, and I'm going to turn them to joy. I'm going to take those moments of pain and turn them to joy. So remember, folks, Christ comforts us because he's walked through the same situations that each and, us, each and every one of us has walked through. He understands your pain because he's been through your pain. And when you want to seek him out, you can find him in your word, you can, in, in his word, you can find him in prayer, you can find him in scripture, and I say you can also find him through your brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't tell you how many times Christ has spoken through one of my friends. No matter the sorrow you're facing now, or the sorrow that you will have, Jesus promises that he will turn that sorrow into joy. He promises that whatever you're going through right now is temporary and not permanent. Whatever you're going through right now is temporary and not permanent. That's where the enemy comes in. He says, this is the way it's always going to be the rest of your life. Sorry. No way. Not true. We have glimpses of this perfection once in a while in our life. We get glimpses of this eternal bliss. And Jesus will return. And he will defeat sin, death, and the devil until that time. We live in a broken world with glimpses of perfection. Remember that God is with you through your struggles. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for um, the reminder today that you walk with us through our struggles, that whatever it is that we are walking through is temporary, it is not permanent, and that you turn our struggles into joy. And it might not feel like that right now, but Lord, I thank you that you can be found, that you are not quiet, that you speak through your word, through your church, through, your, through prayers. Lord, be with us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message and would like to learn more or contribute to Holy Cross, please visit hclm.org.